Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. All right, welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I am your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs, reporting for ConnectingVets.com. And uh, today, fascinating guest. We're going to meet a guy with one of the coolest jobs in the world, or at least it sounds like one of the coolest jobs in the world. Jericho Denman is an Army veteran, former 275 Ranger Battalion guy, and uh, founder of War Office Productions. And what, is, what does that mean? Well, he helps make some of the biggest military movies and the TV shows. He makes them look real. But how do you go from an Army Ranger Battalion to film production? And further, how do you team up with a Navy SEAL? I mean, this sounds like Oliver Stone meets the odd couple. So let's find out and uh, say hello to Jericho Denman. Welcome, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Good to be here. Yeah, dude. I I saw your, I don't know how I came across you. I think it was on, on, on like Twitter or LinkedIn or something, but I saw an article or something about a project you'd worked on. And I was like, man, that's so cool. You went from direct action type military guy to working in that industry, which to me is filled with all kinds of people that don't often get it right. Um, so let's just, before we get into the job, tell me about your Ranger days. I guess kind of my background, I grew up, I was an army brat. Um, my dad was a ranger briefly. My older brother was a ranger as well, briefly. Um, and then, you know, I joined the army at 17 um, with a ranger contract. I uh, went through RIP and uh, what, what is now RASP, back then it's called RIP. Uh, and yeah, I was assigned a second ranger battalion, which was for me kind of the equivalent of uh, making, you know, my dreams coming true, becoming a ranger. It's what I always wanted to do when I was a kid. Um, and then, you know, I stuck around there, uh, for a little over 15 years total. Uh, and then prior to retiring, I, I moved to New York city and I taught, uh, ROTC at St. John's university as kind of my t- twilight tour before I retired. And, you know, in, in my time in regiment, uh, you know, I went, obviously I went from, you know, rifleman to, uh, I guess company first sergeant, uh, is, and, and every job in between. I deployed 15 times uh, with the regiment um, of varying lengths of time for all those deployments. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we won't need to drill into too many details, but just so people listening know, like the company first sergeant is normally like the salty enlisted guy that the younger guys are all, you know, 
mad at usually because you're making them do the things they don't want to. They got to clean. They got to straighten <laughs> up. You're like the company dad, you know, come on, dad. I don't want to do that crap. And uh, the belly aching is no different in the Joint Special Operations Task Force side as it is in just the regular army. You know, the younger guys all have, you know, they all got to get told what to do by the first sergeant. So uh, very cool, man. I was, um, I, was a, I was a cool first sergeant, though. So that's why I wasn't a sergeant major afterwards, because I was just too cool. You, know? <laughs> you gave the boys a pass more often than not. That's nice. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we get into film industry, I just want to ask, because, you know, it's interesting talking to you guys that have served uh, in this capacity. Um, was there any hangover when you first got out and made your transition into the academic community? Um, you know, you guys are direct action. You guys are rangers and and certainly deploying 15 times Iraq, Afghanistan, all that stuff. Uh, you know, they came with some heavy lifting. Um Mm-hmm. Was there sort of a hidden hangover that you had to discover slowly or what did you do to get centered again when you first got out of all this up-tempo life and all this, you know, being physically fit and moving and grooving and doing the stuff that is war? Um, what did you do to get centered again? Uh, well, I mean, you know, I had, I had kind of a, a built-in uh, transition that I was fortunate to have. Like I said, I got, I went out and did another billet out right after I left regiment. Um, and taught ROTC, which was a really good kind of a, uh, I was weaned off the, off the army. So my, my transition wasn't quite so abrupt, but you know, it was still, uh, a huge transition going from, you know, arguably one of the, the highest or the fastest off tempo in the military to, you know, teaching a couple classes a week at, on a college campus. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm in a good place now. I'd love to say that I, I, I did everything right, but I, I definitely went into some dark corners. I, I drank too much. I, you know, I, I, I did high risk behaviors. I did all the things that, you know, are, are now kind of a, a cliche, uh, but I did all of them before they were cool. But I guess to, to pull out of that and, and kind of talk about the, the, the things that made me uh, happy and healthy again, um, you know, is it, it's just kind of changing your relationship with a lot of things. Um, you know, uh, one of them being just developing a healthy relationship again, like you mentioned, you know, being in shape and, you know, everything in, in, you know, the community I grew up in was every day has got to be the hardest day of your life. Everything's got to be, you know, you got to win at everything, yada, yada. And now I've I've gotten to a point where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go for a walk today, you know, and that's exercise and that's moving and that's cool. Um, so, you know, I guess it's, uh, changing you know a lot of uh a lot of how you look at things um uh for me to get to this point to to where i'm you know kind of able to look at life through the lens of of jericho the chill guy that he is now rather than jericho the the rifle platoon sergeant that just wanted to you know tackle stab and kill everything he he encountered you know, is is a lot of things. Um, a lot of therapy, a lot of uh, psychedelic plant medicines. Um, you know, just uh, I work I work with a central nervous system coach who who helps you know uh, helps me re-regulate a system that was uh, pinged in fight or flight for you know 15 years, um, and and getting it back to you know being someone who 
and engage their fight or flight rather than someone who lives in it. Um, so yeah, that's like kind of a, a long, a long winded answer. So to, uh, you know, pretty broad question, but it's, uh, it's, it's constant, uh, intentional work every day to, hmm. um, to, you know, take it upon myself to be happy and, and to put the onus on myself to be healthy, um, and not, not blame the set of circumstances that, uh, I had in my life that, that, that made those things a little more difficult than they are for your average, average Joe. Very cool. Very cool. And I appreciate you getting kind of deep on that too, because I love the answers I get when I ask guys like you that question, because they're always so varied. They're always so different, but changing your relationships with certain things, not necessarily thinking of yourself as having to be the best or being, you know, super up tempo or it's got to be winning, you know, somebody is just going for a walk. That's, that's cool. Do that. You know, you don't have to be yeah. racing yourself and pacing yourself. And then um, a little bit of the plant-based medicine, you know, I've covered that at great length, but you know, I've seen things with not only cannabis, but I've seen things with psilocybin. I've heard things about other kind of treatment, hyperbaric oxygen. And, and I, and I love covering those things. Can I ask what, what one thing you think really gave you a breakthrough with uh change in your headspace? Oh uh, yeah. For me, it was, it was definitely, um, you know, psychedelic plant medicines, uh, ayahuasca specifically. Um, mm -hmm. I went to, uh, like an eight day long, uh, ayahuasca retreat in Peru. Um, put together by an organization called the Heroic Hearts Project, which is great that it matches uh, veterans with um, plant medicine ceremonies that would benefit them the most. So some people it's not ayahuasca, it's other things. Some people it's, you know, ayahuasca, but not quite as, as insane of a process as I went through. So, yeah, I think um, those things are, are really great. Um, but again, like, you know, like I said, with everything, everything, in your life has to be done, you know, when you're, when you're trying to, uh, pull your life back to, to a place from, you know, from one extreme to put it into kind of a normal place, you have to be very intentional about everything. And, and I include plant medicines with that, you know, um, people hear about them and they hear about people having success and they're like, Oh, I'm going to do that. You know, and it's like, well, what, what do you, what do you aim to get out of it? So, you know, it, it takes a lot of work and, uh, mm. It's it's not an easy button, is I guess what I'm what I'm trying to say. And, yeah, um, yeah. But it is, but it but it is amazing, and it does it does, you know, miraculous work. And in my case, I would I would consider it miraculous. You know, it gave me, you know, I say it saved it saved my life. Uh, I don't mean that as is it to say I would have died or I would have you know uh, attempted suicide or anything. I was never in that place, but uh, it did give me my life back. It gave me uh, control of. Um, you know, kind of control of my feelings and control of my own inner dialogue and, and, and gave me the tools to, you know, realize that, hey, I, I control the outcomes in my life. Uh, of, uh, by outcome, I mean just how I feel. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. For ConnectingVets.com, I'm Navy vet Phil Briggs. And recently I spoke with Army Ranger veteran Jericho Denman, who explained how he went from ops with the Ranger Regiment to eventually finding his way to Hollywood, where he now works to ensure that movies and TV and commercials that depict the military get it right. So just how did he go from a combat zone to a movie set? Oh, what's that old cliche? Luck is like when... when uh preparedness and opportunity meet or whatever, however you say that for me, that's okay. kind of okay. case. 
uh, I was just transitioning, uh, getting ready to retire. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, and, you know, getting into the how I, how I met with the Navy SEAL, you know, like the SEALs at one point in, in time, you know, like five, six years ago, they were right, wrong, or indifferent. They were kind of the ish. They had the brand in Hollywood that people wanted uh, for their advisors and stuff. So, you know, a friend of mine got a job as a military tech advisor on a limited series that was portraying army guys in Iraq, Sutter City specifically. And basically, uh, this guy got hired and was like, well, kind of don't know much about this. So uh, I got an opportunity to come down, you know, just just a one-off that what I thought would be a one-off thing of doing pre-production, helping with, you know, wardrobe, some uh, props and some, you know, page turns and a little bit of editing in the, in the teleplays. But to give it, you know, that army kind of authenticity that this guy wasn't exactly an expert at. So, yeah, I just did that after pre-production. You know, uh, they kept me on for the run of the show. They they liked what I did. And then, you know, I enjoyed the work. It was really cool, fun, not easy, but definitely not as hard as what I had been doing. You know, networks work in crazy ways, and, and it just turned into more future jobs. You know, you work with somebody who works with somebody who works with somebody, and they're doing something, and they ask for an advisor, and, you know, yeah, the rest is history. So that's kind of how I got into it. And that's how I continue to stay in it, you know. Um, every, in this, in this job, every job can be your last one, you know, depending on how the ball bounces and who makes what, and, you know, who sees your name and who wants to, to use your brand to, to make their, what is ultimately their product a better one. A quick look at the War Office Productions website, and you'll see that founders Jericho Denman and Navy SEAL veteran Ray Mendoza have worked on some incredible films together. Lone Survivor, Active Valor, Mile 22, The Warfighter, The Long Road Home, the Outpost, as well as several U.S. Army commercials. I asked if working on films that depict intense combat ever gets to feeling too real. The set for the Outpost was extremely, you know, realistic and authentic. They they basically made a, you know, a combat outpost. Um, and there were times that uh, there were scenes that, you know, it's not like I was like, hey, I'm having a flat. But, you know, there are times when you're with a film crew who has no... Uh, no emotional connectivity to some of these stories and, you know, people are laughing and joking while you're filming a scene of a, of a guy being killed or whatever. And those are times when I'm like, Hey, <laughs> this is a, this is real. Um, but for the most part, uh, I'm there to do a job and, and I, I try to, you know, put those things to the side. What is it that makes a good military movie look and feel real. I mean, what are you, what are you trying to get him to do as the advisor there? That's had the real life world experience in the crap. Is it the way the cameras are shooting? Is it the angles they're shooting from? Is it the way that the actors are supposed to be covering and moving? Is it the way that they're talking? I mean, like what kind of, what kind of actual things are you saying? Hey, director, get it like this. You know, like building the shots, they know the shots that they want. So my job is to give them the shots they want, right? I don't try to change the shots. That's not my job. But if mm -hmm. they want a certain angle or they want a certain something, you know, I can say, hey, you came up through here, look a little more dynamic. You know, it, it goes, it always goes back to it's not mine. It's their, it's their movie, right? It's their show. Um, so I try to make whatever it is that they want to do better. And I, I have a kind of a little catchphrase I've developed is that, is that I'm not trying for realism. I'm trying for authenticity. Uh, because realism is, is boring. You know, that realism is a documentary. 
Um, and you can make the most realistic war movie on earth, but if it's only, you know, a hundred people go to see it forever because it was boring, then what good are you doing? You know? Um, so I, I think that, you know, like you were asking what makes it, it's for me and, and for Ray and what, what he taught me when I was coming in is it's, it's, it's the little thing, you know, it's the intangibles that you just can't see or touch, but you know, when they're there and you know, when they're not there. Um, and that for, for us is getting onto a production as early as possible, right? To start affecting all those little things. You know, we, we call it the creep uh, because you, you do oftentimes have to sacrifice things for the sake of story mainly, um, but also for the sake of you're on a film set and, and practical things, you know? If I get hired to do a movie and I don't show up to pre-production until a week before and they've already, hi they've already hired props and he's already ordered the wrong thing, you have to make it work, right? But for me, I will bring up and say everything. I want, I'm a, like a pain. I'm a pain in their ass because you're going to lose a lot of those battles. So you don't start deciding on your own that you're going to lose the battle. You bring everything up and you make sure that, you know, from, from front to back, tooth to tail, you've brought up every single little thing that will yet will yield a little more authenticity in the film. And if, you know, the director, is really collaborative and he loves it, you know, you're probably going to get seven out of the 10 things you ask for, you're going to get. So yeah, it's, it's just the little things, you know, it's a change in happy to glad here and there that are those things that, you know, if you've been in the community or if you've been in that world, they just, you don't know why they're there, but they're there. And, and you can tell when it's wrong, um, but you can't really place your finger on what it is that makes it wrong. Um, let's talk a little bit about the actors because I noticed you said mile 22 and if I'm not mistaken, that's Mark Wahlberg, right? He was in that with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Wahlberg was the, uh, the main, the main dude. I got to ask just cause I'm a fan, you know, who doesn't like Mark Wahlberg, right? I mean, I've the, the guy, the <laughs> stuffed bear, the movie, Ted, the foul mouthed stuffed animal, of course, Boogie Nights, Dirk Diggler. I mean, yeah, I could go on and on. I love Wahlberg, but I've always wondered about the actors. like. He seems like the kind of dude I want to have a beer with. But when they get these roles of iconic military figures, even the most likable actor, I kind of think to myself, like, how can this rich dude with these abs and his cool sports car and his cush life in L.A., you know, I mean, how, how do they really even connect with military grunts or, you know, guys that are military guys? I always think of the dudes like in Tropic Thunder. Remember that movie? <laughs> and they couldn't yeah, have seemed, they couldn't have seemed uh, more disconnected. Well Old Forleaf, that's my, my role model. Yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. um, but do you ever like, do you have to sit with them ever and, and have like a heart to heart and be like, yo, man, you have to kind of toughen it up. Generally, it's a bad rule. It's a bad uh, or not a good idea to try and coach the actors yourself, right? That's the direct, what the director is kind of trying to pull the performance. Um, so I will go to the director and be like, hey, this is a little off or the director. Nine times out of 10, uh, the director will come to me and be like, hey, I want him to be this way. I want to, this is how I feel like this guy's feeling, yada, yada. They'll bounce it off of you. And then, you know, if you can share some stuff with the actor or whatever um, about it. But, you know, to be honest, I think uh, actors, you know, what I've found, and when, you know, a lot of people ask this question, you know, what are the actors like? And, and actors don't, you know, always have, you know, in the case of Wahlberg, like that guy is, 
he didn't know he wasn't always Mark Wahlberg. You know, he hasn't always been uh, Richard famous like, Mark Wahlberg. So, right, right, you know, right. a lot of these, a, a lot of these actors come with a little bit of grit, him included, you know? Um, so they, they, they know what it's like to, you know, maybe they don't have those exact experiences, but they have experiences that they can, they can channel into their performance. And in other cases, you know, I've, I've done projects where I've, I've actually character coached a person that's going to be in the film. Like, Hey, this, this is this character's background. They did this, this, and this, this is the, this is their journey. This is that, you know, and then, you know, come up with a, a plan for like a week or two weeks to, to try and like kind of, give this person a taste of, of that world. But actors, they, I mean, the film industry in general is a tough one. And, and being an actor is, is, it's a pretty, pretty crappy road to go down. I wouldn't go down it. So people, people forget, you know, how dedicated a lot of these, these people are to their craft and, and the dedication they have to getting there. You know, George Clooney lived on a couch for years, you know, uh, like a, a lot of them have, have some grit. It's just a different kind. And you have to kind of try and relate their experiences to the experiences of the character that they're, that they're, they're playing. Okay. Okay. gives me a little bit of faith when I see these movies then. So Wahlberg gets it though. That's cool that he's got enough grit that like he gets it. He's, he doesn't show up all like body lotion and hair gel. Oh no. Yeah. I mean, Wahlberg, if I, if I was going to say anything about Wahlberg that, you know, stuck out at me when I worked with him, he's that dude is a worker. You know, he is constantly, constantly getting work done you know, and super talented, you know, he, he can be very trainable, very teachable, uh, extremely athletic and, and a hard, hard, hard worker. Um, cool. Yeah. And that's how, that's how a lot of them are, you know, they're acting and they want to do, they want to do whatever it takes to get a better performance. You know, um, that's not all of them. There are, there are some, I won't name drop the the ones who aren't that way, but (laughs) there are, there are some, but I think that those are the exception and not the rule. Uh, Most, most of the performers I've worked with have been very, very eager to work, put in work to be better, better in their performance. All right. Mark Wahlberg. I still want to have a beer with you. If you're hearing this. All right. Um, I don't don't think he drinks beer, man. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. He gets those abs by not drinking beers. You know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so true. So damn true. A uh, little bit about the training these guys go through uh, kind of to that. They're in great physical shape a lot of the times by the time you get them. Um, you know, they work on their bodies. They work on you know how to look and move and feel like they're in the military. But then it comes down to the actual weapons training, that close quarters combat kind of training. How proficient in tactics are these guys when you're done with them? Because I always remember like the famous story about Tiger Woods. He wanted to be a SEAL so bad that he used to go on exercises with them. And I heard that's how he screwed up his back. Um, are the guys like Wahlberg and Channing Tatum and the Orlando Blooms of the world that have done these military movies, do they actually finish with some real tactical chops? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> no. Um you know, there's, there's some stuff I've done uh, where I'll try to give them, you know, like, like for instance, in the outpost, you know, the, the entire film was, was done in what's called a water, you know, so that a whole scene is just one continuous shot. So, you know, with that one, because, you know, a, a scene could be three, you know, three, four minutes long. And sometimes just given Murphy, they'll zig when they should have zagged. So, you know, I try to give in those cases and in all cases depending on how much time i give with them try to give them like hey here are the principles that your character is operating under right like cover and in concealment all these different little things um 
but for the most part, uh, no, they don't have any, any tactic, any tactic, you know, cause they don't, they don't need to know why they're doing what they're doing. They just need to do it. Um, right. so, you know, for the most part, it's, it's, they'll, they'll get some technical proficiency, you know, because I want them to get a ton of, if I have a bunch of time, I would rather have them get a bunch of reps doing what they're going to do. So they look extremely comfortable, like they're a gunfighter that's been doing this for, you know, 10 to 20 years, rather than trying to explain the why to them that, you know, you don't, there's no way you're going to explain that to them. So cool. So cool. Yeah. And the way that choreography plays out is it just looks amazing. I mean, honestly, some of those movies get it so right. I mean, you literally think they're in a firefight when you're watching Lone Survivor, or when you're watching, you know, the outpost. I mean, they, they nail it, but they're only having to nail it for three minutes at a time as the camera's rolling and then they can cut and they can reset themselves and they can get another shot that makes it look super real. Um, as we talk movies here, which movies in your opinion through the course of history have really gotten it right? I mean, other than, Navy SEALs starring Charlie Sheen, which is clearly the most definitive movie about what it's like to be a Navy SEAL. Yeah, that's, um, <laughs> that's basically the bar that I use for every, every project I do is, is how much of a percentage behind Navy SEALs is this? You know, if I, <laughs> if I'm, you know, half as good as Navy SEALs, then it's success. <laughs> uh, you know, since I've gotten into the industry, I'm a little bit more of like a film geek, you know, and, and I, I look at, movies i i still get definitely entertained by them as as a whole but i look at them you know in sums of their parts right um so i look at like things like sound and camera work and stunts and special effects and how do they do all this and that and that and that you know um you know my favorite war movie of all time is platoon just because it it really it gets at that like you know fight within the fight that a lot of people have when they're, you know, in combat and, you know, the, the, the things the characters go through in this very like, you know, uh, gray area, shady area of like, who's a good guy. Who's a bad guy. The get, bad guy could be a good guy one minute and a bad guy the next, just given, you know, things moving at the speed of war, you know? So I love platoon. Um, but you know, there's a lot of other really great, you know, I think, now Ray did it, but uh, Lone Survivor. Those those firefight scenes are insane. Those were choreographed so well, and, and the stunt players did such a good job in those falls and all that. It's just like wow, like you said, you you really felt like you're in a you're in a gunfight in those scenes. So yeah, they a lot of different movies have different things I like about them. But if I were to name one, you know, I would, I would yeah. call it Tune, which it's no accident. You know that it was written and directed by uh, a Vietnam vet. You know, so. yeah. Amen. No, I mean, Oliver Stone and that, that whole thing, of course, uh, you got to mention Captain Dale Dye in there as well, because that guy has just made, you know, those movies, just that sense of realism that he got from working with the characters in Platoon. And um, yeah, yeah, v very cool. Should yeah. be noted, if I'm not mistaken, Charlie Sheen was in that as well, right? So Charlie Sheen's basically the greatest military actor of all time. Yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, I don't know, like, I'm a big you know, I've read all of Stone's books and, and just watched every making of platoon possible. And it's, it's, it's amazing. I don't know that anybody's ever going to be able to achieve that level of authenticity again, just, just to the nature of what the film industry is like now. And, you know, they basically like, I think you would go to jail now if you tried to do what Dale Dye did with those guys in their, their prep for that movie. 
but it was, it was awesome. It worked, oh, you know, such a great story. He's on my like all time dream list of people to interview. I would love to sit down with Oliver Stone and, and, and just talk about life. I don't care if it's about the movies. Just that guy's great. I want to talk about some upcoming projects. I'm dying to know, are you working on Alone at Dawn? Because I talked to Dan Schilling sometime last year, and I know they're going to make the story of the combat controller, Air Force, John Chapman, who, of course, received the Medal of Honor for his heroics on the mountaintop uh, of Afghanistan, uh, saving a platoon of Navy SEALs. Basically, dude fell out of a chopper and they had to go back and get him and he went there and 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 i mean he fought until he ran out of bullets and then fought with his bare hands just to save the people coming in to help rescue you know their fallen comrade up there um are are you familiar with that movie being made and are you working on it or yeah uh yeah i'm familiar that it's you know it's in development i don't think they're at the phase yet where they're where they're hiring folks uh hmm. for it yet but yeah i mean these these projects yeah I'm, i've got it, when you do this like you know it took eight years for the outpost to get written developed made and 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 put out there you know so these things take a long time and they they ebb and flow they'll get they'll get hot then they'll get shelved and they'll get hot and they'll get shelved so you know for me it's, it's just uh keeping the name out there and and, and remaining remaining relevant you know and and uh networking as much as possible. I, I usually don't know if I'm going to work on something until, you know, a couple of weeks before pre-production starts, to be honest, is, is about the time they start uh, pulling people in. Um, mm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very much, you know, looking forward to, to that being made. And, and, you know, I hope that, you know, if I'm not, I hope whoever is uh, does justice to that story. And uh, because it's a, it's going to be, that is going to be uh, an opportunity to tell a really, really great, Watt story. Oh yeah. 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 One of the greatest of all times. And, and, uh, and really, you know, huge for the air force too, because you just don't hear much about combat controllers and yet they're some of the gnarliest dudes in the special operations community. So, um, very cool. Uh, let's wrap with this and should be noted that, you know, definitely not trying to make light of this, but you know, there are things that sometimes go wrong and tragically, you know, we just heard about that thing that happened on Alec Baldwin's set of rust, uh, where the cinematographer, lost your life, uh, yeah. killed by a live, you know, killed by a live round that was mixed up with, you know, yeah. the prop stuff. Can I just ask your thoughts on that? Like, how does something like that happen? Uh, or Yeah, that was, I mean, just gross incompetence at, at like every level. Every, every film set I've worked on has been, you know, very firearm centric and the safety that goes into it is usually as it should be, you know, if you follow the protocols in place, then nothing like this will happen. It was just a lot of people just skipping it, being lazy, being complacent, and, you know, com complacency kills, you know, as they say. So it was just every level of, of um, you know, just total, total disregard for, for the protocols and that are, that should be put into place, you know, and uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to point fingers. I wasn't there, um, but you know, every step of that process had someone decide that they didn't need to do them. And it, it resulted in a tragedy. You know, um, I feel terrible for that DP. She had a really promising career and, and, and here she is, you know, and uh, I, I do think that, you know, someone needs to be held accountable. There, there are people and, you know, I, again, I wasn't there and I don't, I have my, I have my personal 
feelings, but I, there are people that are in that, in that crew and in that, in that production that in my opinion should do some time. I think that there was criminal negligence at play and, and, um, they should, they should pay the piper for that. No doubt. Because I mean, I would just think like, it's probably not inconceivable to say I'm in the desert. We're going to go over here and maybe do some target shooting on one in one area just to familiarize yourself with weapons and how they work. And, you know, let's face it, it's kind of fun to do some target shooting. Right. But at no point would any of that stuff, those boxes of ammo, those actual guns, those things, you'd think you'd have like a perimeter set up around where you're filming and like everything out there stays there. And then if you come through this gate here, you got to make sure nothing comes onto this area here where we're using fake rounds and cameras. Around yeah. People. I mean, it would just, yeah seem to be common sense yeah really when you when you get down to it you're not even supposed to depending on the insurance the production has you're not even supposed to take performers out in live fire with like live fire meaning bullets you know they call live fire they call blank fire live fire on a set but you know there's there's really no reason other than kind of ego or like oh this will be cool to get to take people out and and shoot live rounds there's there's no reason for it just gross incompetence and you know kind of the watch this uh, coming home to coming home to roost, you know, like I'm sure mm. it was cool for everyone to go out and, and, and go do target practice with these revolvers, but it's not so cool now, you know, and there's a reason that, that those, that those protocols are in place that you don't have live rounds in and around anywhere with, with performers. I have done productions where the, you know, certain performers want to go and actually shoot and it's, it's totally separate from the production. It's not using production firearms. It's not using any of that. It's a total different event. Miles and miles and miles and miles and probably days and days and days and days separated from what's happening on set. So Hmm. yeah, absolutely. No, zero excuse. Fascinating. A look behind the curtain with Jericho Denman, former army ranger and founder of war office productions. You help the movies we watch look real. And I just can't thank you enough, man. It's so cool talking about this stuff. And, um, you know, I got to learn a little bit more about my buddy, Mark Wahlberg that I I would love to meet one day. So I will look for your stuff. Hey, hit me up the next time you guys got something coming out that you've worked on. And I, and uh, maybe we can like, you know, go through it and, get a couple behind the scenes uh, stories from what it was like to be on set awesome look forward to it man appreciate you every time Jericho Denman thank you buddy thank you hey Prime members you can listen to Ion Veterans ad free on Amazon Music Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.